And um, so it's important to be mindful that one-on-one, you're not just something that you do during your season of trial, okay? One-on-ones are something that you'll do if you love well and you serve well um, for the rest of your life. Well, what do you mean by that, Joey? Well, if one day you're going to be the manager or the CEO or the boss or the president of a company or a marketplace position, then um, it's important for you to make that investment in your people outside of when you need to interact with them. Um, You need to be intentional about sowing time into their lives. Um, Why? Well, because that saves you from having to have moments like the undercover boss. Okay, have any of you ever seen that show? Why all of a sudden has, you know, my person, why has she been coming to work? You know, it's three days in a row now, and she's like an emotional time bomb, and I can't really understand what's going on, and she's having a hard time remembering things, and people are noticing, and you're in the middle of getting ready to ride her up, and then it's brought to your attention, oh, well, her husband just left for Iraq again for a six-month tour. Well, that would have been helpful for you to know maybe a month ago. Um, so that's the importance of one-on-one. If you plan to be a mom or a dad, you're going to need to be intentional about creating times to be with your child outside of just those moments when you correct them. Um, if your only interactions one-on-one with them are during moments of correction, you're going to spawn rebellion in them. Um, and then obviously, um, if any of you have a spouse or you plan to have a spouse, there's going to be some times when you're going to have to have some long ones and it's not pretty little moments of, you know, romance in the bedroom. You're going to have to talk about finances and you're going to have to talk about, hey, you know, it's like I told the group yesterday, <clears throat> you've used this toothpaste all your life and they've used this toothpaste all their life. Well, you're not just going to keep buying two tubes of toothpaste every month, so who's going to make the merge and decide, hey, I'll use your toothpaste. And those are very trivial things, but they're obviously very important things. And without those one-on-ones and that conversation and communication, the thought, like Thomas said, I'm going to choose to love, I'm going to choose to serve, um, then it's going to be very large things. So, um, somebody want to pray for us really fast? And then we'll jump into the little notes. Dear Lord, I thank you for waking us all up this morning, allowing us this opportunity to learn more about you and you to gain more tools to help us be more effective leaders on our campuses. And I pray that whatever we do, whatever we partake in, Lord, that glorifies your name. So some of the things I'm going to share on your notes, some of them aren't. I did that on purpose. My major was education, so if I put everything there, then you'll be like, oh, at some point I'll hear this word and then I'll pay attention to the rest of it. So um, this is not on your notes, but some of you may have heard the verse 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a discipleship verse. It's transgenerational. It goes from one generation to the next. 
many of you have probably heard, or maybe you haven't heard, the reference of Paul and Timothy. Um, whatever season of life you find yourself in, you should have a Paul, and you should have a Timothy. Um, well, what do I mean by that? You should have a Paul. You should have one, someone that's pouring into you, that's having one-on-ones with you, that's holding you accountable, that's encouraging you, that's putting your... You know, their hand on the pulse of your relationship with Christ and where is it and how are you doing? Um, And obviously they're there too to give you that, you know, physical, intellectual, social, emotional, and spiritual support that you need. Um, And then you should also have a Timothy. In every season of your life, there should always be the opportunity for there to be that person that you are giving extra encouragement to and affirmation to and loving correction to and cheering on and um, so well what does that look like well how many of you would say right now in life hey I have a Paul like I have someone pours into me okay how many of you would say hey I have a Timothy okay do you all have friends that don't know Jesus yet then you have Timothy's they're in your sphere of influence they're a Timothy automatically you may not have been meant to be intentional up to this point but if you profess to love Jesus then by default you've become Paul to them because if they don't know Christ yet they've become like the little Timothy who watches you and they listen to you to learn from you Um, so one of the most um Intriguing, still intriguing because I still don't quite understand um, things that that an older pastor has said to me. Um, it was a few years ago. We were at one of our large events, which is the World Mission Summit. It will happen again in January of 2017. It happens every four years, and it's a phenomenal event. Um, it gives you a true up-close and personal look um, at missions. So if you graduate this summer in December... Find your group and take those few days if you can and go back um, to a mission summit if you haven't been yet because it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, but we were there and the pastor was talking to me and, you know, I said, you know, it's just really been a struggle lately to, to keep that accountability in my life and make time for myself. And um, he said, Joey, he said, you know, you, every season and every transition that you've made, he said, you've been so you know, worried about making sure that you find someone that can hold you accountable. And he said, um, you know, you don't always have to do that. Well, yeah, I do. (laughs) I know me well enough to know. Did he mean that with good intent? Of course he did. He wasn't meaning, yeah, you're in ministry now, like you made it, so do what you want to do. That wasn't what he meant. He was giving me, it was one of those benefit of the doubt statements, you know. I trust that you're being a little too hard on yourself. Um, but that was one of those times where, and, and you will have moments like this if you haven't yet, where he meant well and he was encouraging me and affirming me, and, you know, but as I took that before the Lord, I know me, I know my, my sin habits, I know my struggle habits well enough to know, no, I need to keep someone in my life at all times. Um, Oftentimes, you'll hear people make the statement, well, you know, I'm older, so therefore I'm wiser. To me, that's not a true statement. I tell children every day at the school, just because someone is older than you doesn't mean they are wiser than you. 
Sometimes it simply means they've been wrong longer. <coughs> so, in finding a Paul, be careful who you submit yourself to and open up to. Um, so, how do we be effective in our one-on-ones? Well, the first thing that we want to do is we want to be their biggest fan. What do I mean by that? You don't need to be the loudest person. You don't need to be the person that they always talk to and that they always text and that they always go eat lunch with and that they always spend the night with. That's not what I'm saying. What do I mean by be their biggest fan? I played basketball a lot growing up. I traveled a lot to play basketball. But there was one thing I knew at the end of the game. Whether I won or lost, my parents were still going to love me. Whether I won or lost... They were going to have something positive to say. And normally it looked like this. My mom was probably going to say something about something she saw that I did on the defensive end of the court that nobody else ever even noticed, that nobody clapped for. It wasn't a game-changing moment. It was just something like, hey, you know, the girl was driving the baseline and you cut the baseline off, and I noticed. Way to go. To me, she was intentional about seeing the small things that made the game important in those moments. Did the crowd clap? No. My dad, it was going to be something like, hey, I saw that you did this and it changed the momentum of the game because you went over and said something to Jenna after she scored. or You know, you encouraged Stephanie after she missed the layup. So it was things that they noticed because they were intentional about watching the game that I played, not just intentional about being in the crowd to let me know they were there. Well, what does that look like with students? What does that look like with your children one day? What does that look like with your spouse one day? It simply means that you find a way to be intentional about showing interest in the things that matter most to them. If I'm having one-on-ones with a student who's a music major, I'm going to find out, hey, when is your you know music concert? And I'm going to do my very best to be there. I may not be able to stay for the whole thing. I may not be able to be there on the second row. But I'm going to be there. Eight to ten minutes if that's all I can give. And I'm going to notice something that he or she does to be able to say, Hey, man, when you got to that part, you really hit that note. And I'm so proud of you for that. I know you've worked on that. I know you've had sore throat after sore throat. Trying to, but do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You find a way to be intentional about the things that matter and that are interesting to them. I'm not asking you to make sure that you're there and that you take a selfie and that you put it on social media and that you hashtag it and that you make sure they see it. That's you needing affirmation for having done something for them. It's two totally different things. Now, is it fine for you to put the selfie on there? Yes. But if your ego needs to be stroked because you put the selfie on there, <clears throat> then I'm not so sure that you're being very genuine in your attempt to be there. If they can trust you, okay, to be intentional about being interested in the small things, then they're going to trust you with being purposeful with hard things. They can trust you to be intentional with small things. They're going to trust you to be purposeful with hard things. Second thing is this. You should be their biggest prayer warrior. Their most faithful prayer warrior. Their most persistent prayer warrior. However you want to say that. Well, what do I mean by that? So, you're beginning your one-on-one. You should pray with them. But if that's the first time you've prayed with them all week or all within the last two weeks, you've already messed up. 
because I guarantee you at some point in your last one-on-one, you ask them how you could be praying for them. And if you ask them that, then you gave them that assurance, hey, I'm going to pray about these things. Do not ask, how can I pray for you if you're not going to pray for them? Because what you unintentionally but unequivocally do is you give them the, the doubt and the benefit of the doubt of, hey, I'm going to be praying about this. Okay? We all understand that Scripture is true, every word of it. Therefore, the Bible says, if two or more touch and agree on anything, then it shall be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. I understand that God has the way of answering things, and that's His way of doing things. But don't enable someone to think that you are praying for their sick grandmother or for the financial breakthrough that they need if you're really not. Because when they start to see that nothing is changing and nothing is happening, they're going to think, man, all these people are praying. God must not be hearing us. It's one thing if you're not praying. That's a whole other thing if they think all these people are praying and nobody really is. Okay? Um, so, I want to be their most faithful prayer warrior. That means that before I meet with you, I'm constantly taking the opportunity to place them back in the Lord's hands. One-on-ones are not your moment to be their mommy or their daddy. They don't need one. Everyone who's here already has one. Now, maybe they have a story that looks different. Maybe the diversity of their family is much different than yours, their family dynamic. Maybe aunt is the one who really was mom. Maybe, you know, adoption is their story. But they don't need you to be mom. They don't need you to be dad. What do I mean by that? One-on-ones are not your attempt to underlyingly control and manipulate someone. You don't get to tell them what to do all the time and how to live. No, they don't need that. If you find yourself doing that, then you're, you probably need to check your own heart. Okay? Why is it that I'm becoming so... You know, controlling. Why is it that I need to know every little thing that they do? Um, so, be their biggest fan. Be their most faithful prayer warrior. And as you are getting ready to meet with them, you're preparing with the help of the Holy Spirit their heart as you give them back to the Lord. But I thank you today that as I meet with Shauna, I thank you that she's going to see kindness in my eyes. She's going to see empathy, not sympathy. God, I don't want to be the one sitting there that feels sorry for her. But God, I want to be empathetic like Jesus was when he moved about in ministry. I want her to understand that, hey, I'm here, that I'm paying attention. Lord, I, I want you to give her strength. I want you to give her courage. And to honor the convictions that you've placed in your life, but to not for one moment walk in condemnation. God, I thank you that you're going to inhabit the praise of us. I thank you that you're going to be present in our time. I thank you that I thank you that as I ask questions, your Holy Spirit will do what he needs to do. That I don't have to pinpoint, that I don't have to call out. So you're simply just preparing, you're simply just purposing your time with her, your time with him to be intentional. And to basically allow the Lord to do what the Lord needs to do. Having said that, um, we're going to look at John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Um, so if you, two or three of you can open and turn there and read. If somebody will read the first four verses, that would be awesome. John chapter 8, 1 through 4. 
Then went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the mountain of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the smith. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Okay. <clears throat> who brought her to Jesus? Scribes and the Pharisees. Was their intention from what we read in bringing her to Jesus so that they could just introduce her to Jesus and grow her walk with Jesus? And are they being kind in the way that they're treating her? Oh, they're condemning her. We're not Pharisees and we're not scribes. We're believers. Are there times when we can be very pharisaical in our heart? Of course. If you haven't yet, you're doing a lot better than I am. But the point here is, one-on-ones is not your time to go tell your campus pastor everything that so-and-so is doing. Your campus pastor isn't Jesus, so half the time they don't need to know. Now, if it's a self-harm situation, sure. You know, if there's a traumatic situation that's happened before that person was of age, sure. But outside those things, this is not a moment for you to know things so that you can tell someone. That's not the purpose of one-on-one. The purpose of your one-on-one with them is not so that you can say, now look, point blank, you know and I know, you are caught in adultery. So are you going to talk to Jesus about it or not? That's not the point. That's not your place. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need a junior. He doesn't need your help. Okay. So verse 5 through, I think it's 8 or 9. Somebody read that. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Okay. So if you've seen this story before, right, what begins to happen when this, when this moment occurs? So Jesus is like, cool. All of you are here. You reminded me of what the law says. We're really good at that sometimes, huh? You know better, like the Bible says, da 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 da. They probably are aware of what scripture says. Sometimes, sure, maybe not. You know, it's like at the school. Um, every day, probably more than 10 or 12 times, I at some point say, hey, look at me in the eyes. I need you to listen to me. And this is normally how that happens. Okay. Really what I'm saying to the kid is not just, hey, I need you to make eye contact with me. What I'm really saying is, hey, I would like for you to square up, to turn around, to show me some body language that says, I'm listening to you. You have my attention. Okay? But I'm not saying, hey, look at me in the eye so I can say, do you understand what you just did is terribly wrong? That's why you're out of your class right now. They've already made that observation. That's probably why they're in fight mode, or that's probably why they're crying, or that's probably why they want to run. (laughs) Most of the time, 
when your one-on-one -on -one is getting ready to happen, if you have done your part in taking them back to the Father, being their most faithful prayer warrior like you should, they're aware of the things that they need to talk to you about. They're aware of the victories that they've had that they need to tell you about so you can be their biggest fan. They're aware of the struggles that they're having so that they can share them with you so that you can again be their most faithful prayer warrior. So just be careful. Joey, is there going to be times when I have to specifically say, hey, look, this is happening? Yes. But it shouldn't just be because you're keeping a checklist and you're automatically every week going to say, hey, look, I know this is something that happened this week and you still haven't told me about it. Just because you see something and start to suspect something based on what you saw on social media doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit showed you something. It just means that you were on social media and saw stuff. So don't plagiarize the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't make it spiritual if it's not. Sometimes we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Don't do that. Okay? So, he's there. They're like, hey, remember what the law says? You can stone the person. What happens to all the people? What do y'all think starts happening, even if you've never read this before? Hmm. I'll be honest, if I'm standing there, I'm not just putting them down. I'm like, well, that does it for me. I'm going to see y'all later. <laughs> and see, here's the thing. We read this in the context of like, wow, of course all these people had to run away because we've all sinned. But the custom and the tradition there is that unless you're guilty of the sin of adultery, can you still stone them? Yeah. <laughs> But isn't it amazing how that sometimes very subtly we're most hard on people about the very struggles that we also have ourselves. We have to be careful about that because what happens is sometimes the emotion within ourselves, okay, causes us to want to eliminate the struggle in their life that we know to be so real in our own life. So you have to be very careful that you're not ready to stone someone for the very things that at some point in life were a struggle for you, okay? So then what does he say to the woman those last few verses? Somebody read that. Mm, sure. And they which heard it, being yeah. convicted by their own conscience, went not out one by one, thinking at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had left him up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Hmm. Funny thing, who were the ones to leave first? The accusers. The who of the bunch? Who? The oldest. It's just like I said earlier. Because you're older in faith doesn't always mean that you're wiser. Sometimes it just means you've been longer, longer. <laughs> you've experienced the goodness of God's grace a little longer than those who haven't quite had long enough to know it yet. So be careful in making the assumption, even in your one-on-ones, that you're always going to be the teacher. Okay? Um, right above that, you see a little thing that says burning building. Okay, I want us to talk about that. So let's talk about this. No, it's not like I think this is going to happen. But so let's say we're all in here. 
Miss Lori's back there cooking, and all of a sudden there's a fire. The fire becomes very big, very fast. Talk to me about what some what, what are some things that are happening inside of here, especially let's say in the kitchen. What are some things that are happening back there? She's probably trying to put it out. Okay, talk to me about the atmosphere of things that are happening. There's fear. Yeah. Say it again. Chaos. Chaos. Uncertainty. There's uncertainty. What starts to happen to the things that are inside the, the building if it's on fire? They become destroyed. They become ruined. What starts to happen to the people if they don't get out? What starts to happen in the air? What starts to fill the building? Smoke. What starts to happen when smoke fills the air? Two things. It makes it hard to what? It makes it hard to... Most people, when there's fiery situations, in the structure or a building or something is on fire, what do they do? Stay in it or run away from it? Except for who? Firefighters. You're not firefighters. Okay? Your jo job is not to just show up in the crisis moments of someone's life and put the fire out. That's not what a one-on-one -on -one is. Okay? You're not just showing up to put a fire out and then leave. That's why we have the fire department. That's why we have paramedics. That's why there's a hospital. Essentially, that's what the body of Christ is for on Sundays. It's to gather together to worship. But to also have that large group opportunity to give people who are sick the opportunity to come forward and to have... You know, the people of the church lay hands on them. Can you do those things outside of church? Yes. So what does a one-on-one -on -one look like? Well, if we're not the firefighter, then to me, this is what it looks like. Let's be honest. Life is fiery sometimes. And it's in the extremes of life when it's most difficult. I think oftentimes we talk a lot about, you know, it's hard to worship God when, like, something very traumatic has happened. It's hard to worship God when, you know, you're worried and concerned about your finances. Because I'm not so sure that at 32 years old I would tell you that the hardest times of my life to worship God have been the saddest or most difficult or most traumatic. If I was to be really honest with you, sometimes I think the hardest times for me to worship God have been the best times of my life. Because I go from a place of, God, I'm in need of you, to, hey, God's finally doing some things. I got this. So those fiery things of life, they come in extremes. What do those extremes look like? Let's say it's almost the end of the semester. You've got a payment due for your classes. Does that essentially make it hard to see beyond how much money is in your bank account? Smoke starts to fill the spiritual air. And it gets closer and closer to that time. It makes it hard to breathe. It makes it hard to breathe in the fact of like, okay, got $813 here. I'm supposed to have, you know, $1,015. I'm not sure where the other, you know, $202 is going to come from. So there are trials and things that happen in life that make it hard to see beyond the moment and to trust that God's going to continue to give us life beyond that situation. Same is true when something good happens. You know, let's say you get the job offer that you've been waiting for, and essentially it's a promotion and it comes with a bonus. Well, sometimes at the moment, we enable it to be so great and so big that 
we lose sight of what ultimately really matters. And we start to think, oh man, like, look at this. I'm seeing this extra $5,000 come into my account. I got to work, 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 work because, man, I could get another $3,000. And then it, it becomes all about all you see is money and you got to have more. And then in the process of that, when you get to the place where you're so focused on more, then it's like, you can't breathe until you get the next biggest, best thing or the next biggest, best promotion. So what does one-on-ones have to do with this? Because one-on-ones allows you the opportunity to, in a sense, because of the relationship that you have already built, when there's those moments of yes and those moments of no, to simply be like a firefighter. Yes, they have the little radio. Yes, they have oxygen mask. Yes, they have all this gear. But when folk, smoke fills a room, what starts to happen? It becomes what? Light or dark? Dark. So firefighters carry a what? A flashlight. You get to be the person that walks into the desperate situation of, I'm short, $213. And you get to be like David was, and you get to help them shine light on. Man, look at where you were. Look at how far God has brought you. Continue to trust in Him. And walk with them through that as you lead them back to the light, back to the feet of Jesus, back to that place when they can feel his touch again. That is the purpose of your one-on-one. That is the point of, that is how you be effective. No firefighter worth the salt is going to walk in and be like, well, the door is here, so you need to get there. Go ahead, figure it out. No. Okay. Just like in the moment of success, when you get the promotions and you're doing all these things, your job is to simply say, hey, man, look at how the Lord has entrusted you in this season. You're shining light on the truth of God has brought you to this moment. But man, we've got to see beyond this. Let's start thinking. If you're going to be a person who strives to get another promotion in three to six months, let's talk about now. How can you use that promotion to glorify the Lord? How can you not start relying on the need for more? How can that become something that that doesn't control you in this moment? So I'm going to celebrate this with you, but I don't want this to be the thing that starts to control you. You're bringing them back to Christ. You're shining the light back on Christ. Making sure that they are mindful of, hey, he's the giver of this, so therefore you need to be a good steward of it. How do you be a good steward of it? Remind them to give back to Jesus. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Sin has not, is not, and never will be the main thing. So, if we look back at John chapter 8, what did you say that they were doing to her? Was a C word that you used. They were what? Condemning her. They were condemning her. The purpose of one-on-ones is not to condemn. The purpose of one-on-ones is to convict. What's the difference? Condemnation is this. They come to you with their backpack on. Their backpack's full of things that have happened throughout the week. There's good things and there's bad things. Okay? If we were honest, if I was honest, yeah, Kyle the campus pastor, yes, I teach little kids. But there is still a moment throughout each day when I'm like, oh, I kind of blew that. If I was just to be honest, I'm not there yet, guys. I haven't arrived yet. So even in your one-on-ones, be mindful that you've still got your backpack and there's still some crappy stuff in yours too. 
And we think it's all real fun and games when somebody grabs our, you know, when we grab somebody else's backpack and we get ready to pull the stuff out. Then we get haphazardly, crazy, chaotic, mad, like, you know, psycho chick or psycho dude when somebody grabs our backpack and is like, hey, let me get in here and see what's there. But condemnation is the thing that keeps the backpack on them and is like, I can't believe it. I always keep doing this. I never mean to do this. Why do I always find myself here? Their focus and their main thing is, I am in the struggle and I need to stop. Okay? So it bows them and it binds them to themselves. Conviction is you've taken them to the Lord. You've asked questions that are open-ended enough to allow them the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to experience Jesus, because of what you've done for me, I'm going to continue to trust you and I'm going to continue to see that these things aren't good for me because it breaks your heart. These things aren't good for me because it keeps me from you. So Jesus, I'm in constant recognition of the fact that I need more of you. I need more of you when I start to struggle with these things. Conviction allows them to, to tear it off. Condemnation keeps them bound to it. So, they're mindful of the fact that they have the backpack. And they're mindful of the fact that there's bricks in it. Now, if they're not, then yes. They're going to gently but authoritatively point it out to them. But it's hard for me to think that that's going to be the very first thing that you have to do. Okay? Well, why is that? Well, because let's talk about another time in Scripture. Okay? The woman at the well. No, it's not there. I don't have the address there. But I want us to talk through it. If you don't know the story, you'll know enough of it by the time we finish. So, there's a water well. The custom was at that time that people had to go to that. That's the way they got water. Talk to me about what happens. Who knows what time of day is it? Is it morning? Is it evening? Is it night? Is it the midday? What time of the day is it? Afternoon. It's the afternoon. It's actually high noon. So it's the hottest time of the day. Okay? Why would Jesus just think, cool, I'm, I'm going to go chill over here and take a nap at the water well at high noon? Okay? He was intentional in his goings about where he went. It would be wise for you to be intentional about the routes that you take when you're on campus. Sometimes you have 17 minutes to kill. So don't be so caught up in getting to the next thing to do the next thing that you miss the opportunity to walk near the water well. How do you be effective in one-on-ones? You be intentional about your positioning. Jesus was intentional. Okay? Every person that needs to know Jesus is not going to haphazardly and all by themselves walk into your Kyle for me. It's just not going to do that. They're not going to do that. It's not going to work like that. So, Jesus is at the water well. The lady comes. Our lady's supposed to be at the water well. I mean, no. Is she supposed to be interacting with Jesus? No. There's going to be times when, because of the sake of tradition in your life, what's comfortable to you as far as diversity is concerned is not always what's right. You're going to have some moments when it's like, like Thomas talked about yesterday. I could sit with my people that I know that understand me, or I could sit with those that are different from me and make new friends. I promise you, your life becomes so much more full when you get to a point to where you're like, hey, I'm going to choose new friends in this moment. So she encounters Jesus. Jesus encounters her. What's the first thing that's said? 
Does he make a statement or does he ask? What he's saying? He asks for water. First thing he does is ask a question. I try to always start my one-on-ones with questions. Because if I start making statements, then they think they're there to just listen. If I start by asking questions, they, from the jump, think, hey, I have something. I have input in this. Input causes students to have buy-in. Buy-in causes students to be transformed. So you have to allow input, which creates buy-in, which creates transformation. Well, what do I mean by that? Okay, if we're going to marinate a piece of meat, which part is easy? Jabbing all the little holes in it or pouring the marinade on it? Yeah, well, we have the easy part. I don't find in Scripture where I saw Jesus be like, Joey, take the fork and jab the holes in their heart. Convict them. That's not for me to do. I simply get to marinate their heart with what the Word of God says over and over and over. So, tell me about your relationship with so-and-so. You guys are dating. That must be awesome. Tell me about that. Did you guys get to hang out this week? What did that look like? I don't have to be necessarily like, so, how long did you and so-and-so hang out? Was it after 9 o'clock? Where did you go? What did you do? Okay. Are there times when you're going to have to probably ask some very question, some very point-blank questions? Yes. But remember, it's a one-on-one. It's not an interrogation. Okay? So, Jesus says, hey, can I have some water? He makes her aware, hey, I'm on this even plane filled with you in a sense. We're both here because we have needs. That's the point of one-on-ones. We're both here because we have needs. In a sense, you're here because you need a Paul, and I'm here because I need a Timothy. So as we take this need to the Lord, he does something miraculous with it. So you're both even at the end of the day. You need a Timothy. They need a Paul. No one's better than the other one. It just means that one happens to be a little bit more able to pass something on to the next one. But if I read scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2, as I shared that with you, I'm sure that there's times, just like right now, my interaction with Pastor Lynn in Alabama, he's in his 60s, almost to 70. He's done ministry for a lot longer than I have. But the thing that I love about him is when I introduced him to discipleship by design, he asked to come take the class. But you're a pastor at a local church. Why do you need to take the class? Because, hey, I know that the message hasn't changed, but I'm sure that there's a better way of the method to be done to disciple people. So I'm going to learn, what are you guys doing on the campus? Because what works at the church may not work at the campus. So he has this interaction with her. He says, could I have a drink? And then what happens? She's like, oh, okay. But then what's the next thing that happens? Does he make a statement or does he ask a question? He asks a question. What does he ask? Where is your husband? Do you think he already knew the answer to her question? Yes. There are times when I already know. Not because I've looked at social media. Sometimes I do know things because I've seen it on social media. There are times when, man, the Lord just gives you that gift of discernment or He gives you that word of knowledge and you know. 
But it's amazing what happens when you pour the pair, when you pour the marinade through your questions, and you remind them of what the Word of God says. And as that settles into their heart, Holy Spirit starts to convict, so that it can saturate their heart, not just settle around it. And then the conviction can cause there to be transformation. So, he says, "Where's your husband? What does she say?" I don't have a husband. Uh, she's answering questions like students most often do today. <laughs> I don't have a husband. Right. I know. You have five. And the person you're with now ain't your baby's daddy. Ain't your husband. So what are y'all doing? Because if you don't be careful, it's about to be your baby daddy. Like, that's pretty much the point. Okay? So, they've had that moment. Do you think, okay, as I think of Jesus and I think of his interactions with those who, you know, were struggling, do you think he approached the situation like, hmm, where's your husband? No. There was probably kindness in his eyes. There was probably compassion in his tone. There was probably openness in his body language. There was probably togetherness in the spirit. He didn't walk into the situation thinking, I'm about to check her and put her in her place. But he walked into the situation thinking, man, that's my sister. And our dad really wants his relationship back with her. That's what an effective one-on-one is. Every week, every other week, once a month, whatever it looks like to you. And God is entrusting me the opportunity to walk into this situation. To give my sister, to give my brother some high fives and some how you doings and some hey, you got to get right back to the feet of Jesus. But hey, as you get back to the feet of Jesus, I'll be right here with you. And should you get to his feet and recognize, man, I really need to be in his lap. I'm going to grab your hand and I'm going to pull you up and I'm going to help you get there. That's the point of one-on-ones. You're intentional about being interested in the small, trivial things of their life so that they will trust you to be purposeful with the issues of their heart. So, basic, simple, practical things that we can do. Be intentional. Okay? How do you be intentional? Make eye contact. Okay, am I making eye contact with her right now? No, I'm looking right above her and I'm staring into space. Students know when you're doing that. Train yourself to constantly be aware of what you are looking at while they are sharing trivial things with you and while they are sharing heart things with you. Both are important or they wouldn't share them with you. If they're telling you about something really great that happened and how God came through and gave them scholarship money when they didn't see it was going to happen, and in your eyes you're like, they're not going to sit there and tell you something that hurts and makes them sad because you already look like you're mad and they're telling you something happy. So, you know, so be intentional, even with your eye contact. Okay? We are the generation of phones. I get it. Sometimes I'm the worst. Especially when I'm tired, it's easier to be like, in my phone than it is to really make myself engage. But in one-on-ones, 
Turn it on silent. Turn it on vibrate. If you put it on vibrate, don't lay it on the table face up so that when they're telling you something, every eight minutes it goes and they're like, because what will happen to them is they start to feel like they're inconveniencing you. And some of you are like, well, sometimes they are. Well, good. You need to check your heart because that's all what that's all about what serving you is. You're going to be inconvenienced. But you don't need them to feel the weight of that or they're going to stay closed off. Okay? Remember, you're doing things in such a way that says, hey, in this moment, you matter to me. In this moment, I'm here with you and I'm here for you. Together, we're going to get back to Christ. Together, we're going to rejoice for what Christ has done. Together, we're going to get cleaned up and we're going to go back and we're going to start again. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't be doing that thing where we're all so great at it. At least we think we are. Where we can text and look at them and act like we're paying attention. But really you're saying the next word in your text and you're mad because you're not sure if your thumb hit the right letter or not. Just put the phone down. Okay? Also, be careful. I know you think it's like super cool, especially girls, to be like, Hey, I'm about to do my one-on-one with so-and-so. So you take a selfie. Well, sometimes if they've had issues with people, they don't want that to be on social media because then it's the worry of, well, is so-and-so going to ask me what I had happen in my one-on-one? So just keep that in mind, okay? I'm not saying you can't ever take a selfie. That's all I'm saying, but just be mindful of, of what you're doing, okay? Um, pay attention to your body language, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, for example... It is by nature for me. See, I'm sitting right now. That's like my default place. But if you're telling me something and you're so interested and you're so proud of it and you're so intrigued and I'm sitting here like, you're not very encouraged to keep going, okay? If I'm sitting here like this, then you're probably thinking, okay, she's either thinking about some business plan right now, or she's thinking about how she's going to do some jitsu on me when I finish telling her this, okay? And it's not that we mean to do those things. It's just that's the nature of who we are. But I'm so grateful for people in my life who have said, hey, you know, when you're sitting in student interviews, man, sit like you're there and you're happy to be there and you're paying attention don't sit there like you're about to just drill them and ask them some questions. Like, so tell me, how many times have you read your Bible this week? It's even practical, simple things such as like, if someone starts to tell you something and they smile, then as you're making eye contact, smile. Don't mimic them. That's not what I'm saying. But feel the moment with them. Okay? If you can see like, man, they're starting to get sad. Look in their eyes. Ask the Lord to help you. God, help me through the power of the Holy Spirit to discern in this moment. I see tears. Are they sad? Are they frustrated? Are they angry? Are they irritated? Why are there tears? Lord, show me. Intentional in your body language, okay? Don't talk to somebody like this. Don't keep them over here and keep yourself closed off. Be mindful of the room, okay? If there's furniture in the room, eliminate the things that can separate you. Okay, my desk, I don't sit students behind a desk or in front of it and me sit behind it. I'm here to do life with you, not to tell you how to do your life. If they're sitting, sit down. If anything, you should be at a level to where they have to look down at you, not up to you. So if you're going to engage a student in conversation that's going to last three to five to eight to ten minutes, 
then go ahead and position yourself to be at the same level as them. Okay? Because if you don't, what starts happening is they're sitting there and they're like, I look up to you. Even in this moment, I have to look up to you. And you're like, well, it's no big deal, Joe. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because it shouldn't take effort mentally for them to be able to learn the truth of what you're saying to them. Because it has nothing to do with you and your giftedness. It has everything to do with God and the power of His Holy Spirit. All their energy, all their effort should be exhorted to the Lord. Okay. So, what are some practical things that you can do? Because, you know, well, maybe you're like me. And they're saying things. And you have this really terrible habit like I do where your brain is a little bit ADHD sometimes. And it sees squirrels and rabbits before the duck ever finishes crossing the road. And you need to tell somebody because it's really important. So, how do you handle that? Well, there's some practical things that you can do. If you think of something that you need to say, or if you have a point you want to make, you can do things as simple as that. What did I just do? None of you knew. Look at my fingers. It's the kinesthetic movement that gives me the photographic ability to, to remember. She said this, and it made me think this. I'm going to remember when she finishes talking that I should say this. When they're done, then I can say, Hey, I noticed when you were telling me um, that Thursday this is what you did. And then I can say what I need to say. I didn't have to cut her off. I didn't have to be afraid that I was going to not remember. I didn't have to be like, dang it, I was going to say something and I totally forgot. Okay, now it takes practice. What I'm not asking you to do is be like, <clears throat> okay, don't do that either. Because then they know, okay, she obviously has something to say. One of my mentors used to wear a rubber band on her arm, a hair thing. Okay, well, I just thought she was playing with it, right? Not that any of you would ever do that. No, it was the method to her badness. When she would think of something that she needed to say and I was talking, she would do this. And it was on her finger. And then when she asked me or said whatever she needed to say, she'd move it back to her wrist. And then when she thought of something else she needed to ask or say, she'd put it on her finger. And then when she did it, she'd move it back to her wrist. I just thought she was playing with a rubber band. I didn't know that she was, you know, keeping herself focused and concentrated and giving me the ability to not be cut off. Last and final practical thing, when it comes to those moments where you think, man, there's something there and they really need to be able to say it. Do not finish that sentence for them, okay? There's something amazing that happens when a person finally gets to the point where light has been exposed long enough that they can say just how much the darkness hurts. So let them do it for themselves. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? If you know that you know that you know that they need to say, you know, hey, maybe, you know, Friday night I dressed a little inappropriately for a girl. Or maybe, you know, Friday night I got too caught up in my thoughts, you know, for a guy. Not that girls can't do that, but those are just the two examples I had in the moment. There you go. Let them say it. Don't cut her off and be like, oh, I know, you should have worn that skirt. Don't finish the sentence for her. Let the Holy Spirit bring them to the point where they recognize for themselves, hey, I have the strength and the ability to bring this into the light with your help. Okay? Also, you can very much know that you know that you know that there's something happening in someone's life. 
But until the Lord, okay, I'm not saying never, until you are sure that you are sure that the Lord wants you to point blank, point that out in your one-on-one with Him. Keep it as a matter of prayer before you make it a matter of your one-on-one. What do I mean by that? It's been amazing to me how that there have been times when students have finally come to me and said, Joey, why didn't you tell me that I shouldn't have been saying bad words all the time? Man, like my grandma and my grandpa, they did it. So I just thought there was nothing wrong with it. But I found this verse and somebody else said to me and it made me go read it in Ephesians where it says, I shouldn't let unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. Why didn't you tell me that? Boom. They're finally at the place where you can say, hey, you know how you've been praying all those times that God would speak to you, that God would show you things? I wanted you to see for yourself. God does speak to you. God does show you things. And there's something so very unique and something so very special about those moments when students are able to see for themselves, man, God is truly at work in my life. And because of that, I can be transformed. Does that mean that there's never been a time when I've never had to be like, hey, man, you know, you get this potty mouth, like, we need to work on it. It gets the point across. I don't have to be like, well, the vocabulary that you say is offensive to me and every other Christian, so please do not say it. Both get the point across. Stop saying that crap. We all get the point. So choose your words wisely, okay? The weight of your words is not what brings a person to a point of conviction. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work through you. So you don't have to word it to be convicting. Holy Spirit will do His job. Last three things. You always want to praise publicly. You want to correct privately. And you want to end positively. Okay? Praise them publicly. Catch them doing things. Oh my gosh, I just caught you. Boom, they're in panic mode. Caught me doing what? Please don't tell my secrets. I caught you encouraging and affirming someone else that you hadn't seen in a while. Thank you for doing that. Correct them privately. I see Shauna doing something this weekend that I'm not so proud of. I don't go over in the middle of the circle and be like, I need to speak to you right now. Now, there may be a time when I have to, in a sense, gently say something. So I may say something like, Shauna, that was so silly. What are you doing? But it's not going to be like, get it together or I'm going to take you to the bathroom. (laughs) You are not mom. Okay? Nothing drives me nuts more than like, when you're in college, folks are growing. You ain't going to do all this, okay? (laughs) Chill out. So, and then end positively, okay? You end to where it's like, man, this was good. This was real good. So, questions, comments?